Father in heaven, we thank you that we can assemble ourselves in your home, in your house. And Father, we seek more than anything for your presence to be here, to be felt, and that the message from your word would resonate in our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would draw us up yet a little higher in our walk together with you. Speak to our hearts, Lord, we pray, and we thank you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Today we live in one of the most seeking, searching, quest-finding generations that has ever existed. The unknown is a place where man, for some reason, likes to explore. And it's because of this, that this curiosity of the unknown, that we have been driven to the far-flung places not only of this planet, but of others as well. It took us to outer space and then eventually to the moon, and now they are seeking to find a way to Mars. This curiosity has caused us to dive to the depths of the ocean some seven miles below the surface of the water. It has driven us to crawl to the belly of the earth some 7,000 feet below the surface of the earth as we know it. Curiosity, seeking, is something that is in our DNA as human beings, and we see this in the world we live in today. But it's strange to me as I was thinking about this and meditating on the passage that we are going to study together this morning, that we as Christians oftentimes will applaud and praise and maybe even look up to these people who have perhaps put their life in harm's way to seek out the unknown. But yet when we come across a dedicated Christian who is willing to put everything on the altar in their quest to know, to serve, and to give their hearts un. Uh, you know, un, uh, undivided to God, we tend to think that to be perhaps a little strange. And I find this to be a contradiction oftentimes that we see in our church. As though the discovery of the unknown, these great places that men have gone, is a nobler quest than giving our hearts to the Lord and seeking first his kingdom. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, it is to be feared that many give their force to worldly pursuits and their feebleness to their religion. Should it be so that self should have our energies and Christ have our lukewarmness? It's something to reflect upon as we think about where we are at in our spiritual journey 
with God. I would submit to you this morning that we live in one of the most distracted times of Earth's history. Men and women are constantly distracted. Not necessarily distracted with bad things, but we're distracted. We're distracted with things that we need. We're distracted with things that maybe we're trying to convince ourselves that we need. We're distracted by things maybe that we don't even want, but we live in a time where we are distracted from that which is the most important in our lives. And lukewarmness has become the new norm in our churches of North America. I believe the Bible is describing something different for God's people. We live in a generation that's not just distracted by the world, but we live in a time where we are spiritually distracted from what God would have us to seek after. And I invite you to go with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, We're going to take a look at a short passage here that is well-known. As you are turning there, in many ways, Jewish society in the time of Jesus, as he shared these words that we're going to take a look at today, in many ways, the Jewish society was also greatly distracted. They were distracted by the desire for earthly gain. They were distracted by the desire for the arrival of the Messiah to break the yoke of Roman bondage upon them and to set up a kingdom here on this earth where all would be good, where they would prosper, where they would have all of their needs met, where all of their physical needs would be met, their uh, health needs would be met. That's what they were looking forward to. They were distracted by what God ultimately wanted for them because they wanted what the world had to offer. And to this spiritually distracted generation in the time of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus spoke 20 words that are probably the second most famous passage in all of Scripture next to John 3, 16. 20 words that are packed with depth and meaning, 20 words that you could probably recite off of the top of your head, but they are 20 words that are so revolutionary that many of us do not follow it. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, to a distracted generation in a time of Matthew and to the distracted generation today, Jesus says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6 and verse 33 is the gospel in miniature form. You don't have to have all four gospel books in your back pocket or memorized in your mind, if you carry with you this one Bible passage, you are carrying with you the gospel in miniature form. And those who obey this revolutionary passage that is extreme by Christian standards today will find themselves one day in the place that they have been seeking after, the kingdom of heaven. Don't we all want to be there one day? 
This is godly living, in my humble opinion. This is godly living, living at its finest, bare and simple. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Now, as powerful as these 20 words are, at least in the King James Version, they are tenfold more powerful when they are read within the broader context of the passage of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 6, we find Jesus in the midst of the most famous of all sermons that has been preached, the Sermon on the Mount. The sermon, as you know, has, is being preached by the greatest of all preachers who has ever walked on the face of this earth, Jesus Christ himself. And the sermon is being preached in the greatest cathedral that earth could ever think of, and that is on the grassy hillsides surrounding the city. Thousands of people had assembled themselves around Jesus' feet as he gives his, what some people call, his inaugural address. Shortly after his baptism and then his temptation in the wilderness, Jesus is now found on the grassy hillsides proclaiming what I believe the qualifications for what it means to live a godly life. And I would suggest to you that if you haven't already, that you go back and review this great historic sermon that spans several chapters and is, as I said, the qualifications, not only for godly living, but one day to be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. Let's back up a few verses here. Go with me to verse 19, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Notice the context of how uh, Jesus, or the context of this passage of Matthew 6, and what Jesus says. He says in verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on the earth, where moth and rust, rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moss nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, what does he say? There will your heart be also. So in the context here, Jesus is saying, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. But before he does that, before he tells us what we should seek, he tells us what we should not seek. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures here upon the earth. Notice what we find in Testimonies for the Church, volume 6, page 44. We are told this. There are only two places in the world where we can deposit our treasures, in God's storehouse or in Satan's. And all that is not devoted to Christ's service is counted on Satan's side and goes... Lord forbid, to strengthen his cause. Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Are you laying up treasures in heaven? Or are you laying up treasures here on this earth? There's only one of two storehouses, and if we are not working to support the one, we are by default supporting the other. And Lord forbid that anybody that is part of the Muskegon Seventh-day Adventist Church would be supporting the cause of darkness. Would you say amen? Now, Jesus goes on in verse 24, and he says this, Matthew 6, 24, No man can serve two masters, 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. You know, it's interesting to me in the Bible passage, Jesus doesn't say you shouldn't serve. He doesn't say you will not serve. He says you cannot. In other words, it is impossible. You can't serve both. It has to be one or the other. It's impossible to serve God and mammon, yet I believe that this is one of the great frustrations in Christianity because we try to do what Jesus says we can't. We try to do both. We try to ride that fence. We try to have a little bit of spirituality and a little bit of worldliness. We try to uh, balance things out, if you will. If we do enough good, then it'll balance out the few bad things that we do. But Jesus says you can't do that. If you do that, it will drive you spiritually insane. The interests of God and the interests of mammon have no union together. Jesus says you cannot do this. But then notice what he says. He kind of goes on a little preacher's rant, if you will, where he repeats himself a number of times. And it starts here in verse 25. He says, therefore I say unto you, what are the next three words there? Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? He goes on and he repeats himself again. And he says this in verse 31. Therefore, what does he say? Take no thought, saying, what shall you eat or what shall you drink? Or wherewithal shall you be clothed? He repeats himself again in the next verse, verse 34. He says, take therefore what? No thought. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Jesus says, take no thought, take no thought, take no thought. And simply put, he is saying, Take no thought of the things of this world. Are we all together? Is that pretty clear? You know, the gospel's not difficult to understand. The gospel is very simple to understand. The challenge comes with the application of it. And us trying to balance the difference between worldliness and spirituality in our lives. And when we don't go wholeheartedly with God and take Jesus' advice to seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and to take no thought for the things of this world, if we don't do that, we drive ourselves spiritually insane by trying to keep that balance between the spiritual and the world. In In this passage, Jesus deals with the things that are, in many people's minds, the chief quest of life. You know, the bare necessities to keep ourselves alive. Food, raiment, uh, nourishment. Uh, You could even add to that the, the, the house over your head or whatever it may be. He deals with these basic things that if we're going to be honest with ourselves, as we look out in the world, we see that this is what the world is searching after. Jesus says, God's people are not of the world. They have a different way of living. 
our generation has become a very materialistic generation, has it not? It's not enough just to have our needs provided. We seem to want to have every new shiny thing that we see advertised on the television or in the newspaper or on a billboard as we drive by or we hear somebody talk about it. We become a generation that's consumed by materialism. The chief quest of many is to have a life with all the comforts and conveniences that modern technology can offer. And I'm telling you this morning, brothers and sisters, that that sickness is creeping into God's church. That is not the norm. That is not healthy thinking. That is not healthy living. But that mindset is seeping its way into God's church. As long as I give a little to support God's cause, I can then indulge myself with these new shiny things. As long as I give a little of my time, maybe a follow-up on one or two Bible studies or give away one or two Bible tracts or whatever it may be, if I pay my tithe and give a little extra for offering, then it quells our conscience, if you will, for us to go and indulge our desire for the world. And while the offerings for foreign missions continues to decline, many who claim the name of Jesus are busy making sure that their lives are as comfortable as possible with plenty food and entertainment to dull our minds to the voice of conscience. Materialism. I read a quote uh, in my preparation for this sermon that I thought just kind of really summed up the mind of the society we live in. From the Huffington Post, January 25 of 2014, it said this, That's our entire economic system, talking about materialism. Buy things. Everybody buy. It doesn't matter what you buy, just buy. It doesn't matter if you don't have money, just buy. Our entire civilization now rests on the assumption that no matter what else happens, we will all continue to buy lots and lots of things. It goes on and it says this, buy, 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 and then buy a little more. Don't create or produce or discover, just buy. Never save, never invest, never cut back, just buy. Buy what you don't need with, what, with the money you don't have. Buy like you breathe, only buy more frequently. Pretty interesting, isn't it? And this sickness is not just on the outside but it is on the inside of God's church as well. Listen, listen to me carefully this morning. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a roof over your head. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a dependable vehicle to drive and that you shouldn't have sturdy clothes on your back and food on your table. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. But what I am saying is that we've become a generation that's consumed by things when Jesus says we should be consumed by seeking his kingdom first. And if our goal is seeking after things, our own selfish gain, our own selfish entertainment, if that is our goal, if that is what consumes us, then we are not converted Seventh-day Adventist Christians. You might have all of the theory in your head. 
You might have all of the doctrine in your head. You might be able to regurgitate all of the Bible passages, and you might be able to quote verbatim from the spirit of prophecy. But if the quest and if the desire is in the things of the world and in not seeking the kingdom of God first, we're unconverted. We just have to be honest with ourselves. Where does my heart desire to be? Many of us, myself included, have houses full of things that we hardly use. Preacher's gone from preaching to meddling now, hasn't he? Right? Many of us have houses, let's be honest with ourselves this morning. Many of us have houses that are full to overflowing with things that we use on an occasion, yet we're still out shopping to find the next sale to fill our houses with more things that we're only going to use on a periodic basis and the uh, donations for foreign missions continues to decline. Well, we are filling our houses with things that we don't need. That is not seeking the kingdom of God first. Let's just be honest with ourselves here this morning. Jesus is revolutionary here in this passage of Scripture. I know you learned it in kindergarten. You learned it in primary class. You've heard it in Sabbath school. You've heard it from, the, from up front. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And we, we yawn. Take care of that already. In fact, I even went the next step. Pastor, I memorized that Bible passage. What good does it do if it doesn't change the way we live our lives? What good does it do to have it in our mind, but not to have it in our hearts? Listen to what Jesus says about those who don't take his advice. Those who don't seek first his kingdom and are seeking after all of the things that he has mentioned in the context of the chapter. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 6 and verse 32, this is the New English translation. It says, for the unconverted pursue these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. Who is it that seeks after all of these things? Come on, say it again. Who is it that seeks after all of these things? It's the unconverted. Oh, that makes me uncomfortable. You know, some translations say the Gentiles. Some translations say the heathens. And we think, I'm not a heathen. I'm not a Gentile. But we might be unconverted. And it's all the same. If we are seeking after and pursuing after these things that Jesus is talking about here, worldliness, materialism, and not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus, not your pastor, is saying you're unconverted. You need to fall at the feet of Jesus again. You need to say, Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. It is thine to be used as as you will. Lord, I want to live a life not of unconvertedness, but of convertedness. Lord, please change me into the man, into the woman that you want me to be. Because, brothers and sisters, he's really the only one that can do the changing. I like how Jesus says, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. You know, we go about scurrying around in our life, gathering things to us as though God has no idea what our needs are. Oh, God forgot about me. He's busy over in India working. 
And so I'll let him work over there while I go around and gather all the... No, 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 no. He knows what you need. He knows when your supplies are getting a little bit low, when your bank account is getting a little bit low, when you, when you have need of things. But to be honest, this morning, as Americans, we don't have any needs. Most of us just have wants. Because our needs have been supplied above and beyond. This church, the Muskegon Seventh-day Adventist Church, was founded on the backs of people who knew what sacrifice meant. This church was founded on the backs of people who knew what it meant to live a self-sacrificing life, to seek first the kingdom of God, and to claim the promise that all these things shall be added unto, unto you. But have we forgotten that? Are we still that same church even today? I think we are to a certain extent, but I also think that there is room for us to grow in this area. Perhaps we've become a little bit comfortable where we're at and we don't want to take that step of faith into the unknown and the uncomfortable. But if there weren't people that were willing to do that, I don't believe this church would have been founded back in the late 1800s. Back to our text here. Again, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. First of all, Jesus tells us in this passage to what? Seek. Is seeking something that is active or passive? Do you sit on your couch like a couch potato seeking, yes or no? No, when you are seeking something, you are trying to what? Find. And if you're trying to find something without seeking, are you going to find it, yes or no? Chances are you're not going to find it. So let me tell you something this morning, brothers and sisters. If you're not seeking the kingdom of heaven first, you're not going to find the kingdom of heaven. That's what the passage is telling us. To seek is something that is active. It's an active pursuit after something. And as I was drilling down into that word in my Bible study, the word seek, an interesting passage came to the surface that I didn't think about. And it's the story when Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem for the first time so that he could go to the temple. And you know the story. When they left Jerusalem, who did they not bring with them? They left Jesus behind unbeknownst to them. And when they found out that Jesus was not with them, that they had lost Jesus, what did they do? Uh, this is what Mary says when she eventually found Jesus in Luke chapter 2 and verse 48. She says, behold, thy father and I have sought thee with what? It's the same word. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Your father and I have sought thee with sorrowing. Now, as you look at that story of Mary and Joseph seeking after Jesus, how invested do you think they were in that seeking after him? Do you think they gave their all to that seeking? Do you think it was the second or third thing on their to-do list on their journey home? Everything stopped. They, they broke themselves off from the group that was traveling away, and they went back to the city. They didn't sleep that night. They were up all night long seeking, searching with anguish in their hearts. They were sorrowful that they had lost Jesus. 
And I think this is a good illustration of how we ought to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek it with sorrowing. Lord, forgive me. I haven't sought you the way I should. I know I've had those opportunities and those experiences in my own life as a parent where you think you've lost your kid only to find them around the corner again. You imagine, you, you know what that feeling's like. Maybe some of you have actually lost your children and didn't know where they were for a short while. But I've had those experiences and uh, your heart kind of stops and it skips a beat and you think, oh no, what happened? That's what it should be like if we lose Jesus. But we've become so intoxicated with materialism. We've become so intoxicated with worldliness that we can't actually think straight as Christians and we don't even know oftentimes when we've lost him until some calamity happens in our lives and then we realize as we trace back with remorse the steps that we have taken, we find where we have lost Jesus. And it all comes back to not seeking the kingdom of God first in our lives. In the next chapter, uh, you don't need to turn there, but in the next chapter, Jesus tells us, he gives us a promise, Matthew 7 and verse 8, that he that seeketh will what? You know, this is the great thing about seeking the kingdom of heaven. It's not like going on a treasure hunt, right? You know, there's these guys that treasure hunt, and they're going around trying to find riches, and they're seeking, 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 and sometimes they don't find. But the good news is that when we seek after God and his righteousness, Jesus promises us that they that seek will what? Somebody ought to say amen to that. You're not going to be left empty-handed. You're not going to be left standing out in the rain all by yourself with all of your resources expended and nothing to show. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you will find what you are seeking after. That's what Jesus is saying. That's encouraging to me because I want nothing more than to find the kingdom of heaven to be the first thing in my life. You cannot be too energetic in your seeking after the kingdom of God. Seek after it first thing in the morning. Seek after it as you go throughout your day. Seek after it when you go to bed at night. May that be the constant pulse in your life to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Tell other people about what you are seeking after, not with your words, but let your actions preach that sermon. Because lots of us like to tell people what we think, what we believe, what we do, but our actions don't reflect the same thing. Let your life preach that sermon. It'll be much more powerful if you do. One of the children this morning in Sabbath school time read or quoted a memory verse. And as I listened to it, I said, hey, that's a good text. I've got it in my sermon today. And it says this in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13, and ye shall seek me and find me. We want to stop there. We just want to, we just want to know that if we seek, we'll find. But what does the rest of the passage say? You shall seek me and find me when you what? Search for me with? That's right. Not some of your heart. 
Not part of your heart, not with a divided heart, but Jesus says that we will find him when we seek with him, seek him with all of our hearts. And this is where the frustration comes in our spiritual walk. We get frustrated because we don't overcome. We get frustrated because we don't grow. And it's because we're not searching with all of our heart. We're searching with part of our heart. We oftentimes live a divided life. We live one way on the weekends. We live another way during the week. We live one way in the morning during our devotional time. We live another way as we go throughout the day. We live one way when we're around Christians. We live another way when we're around non-Christians. We live this divided life, and we ask ourselves the question, why am I not growing? Why am I not experiencing uninterrupted victory in my life? Jesus says it happens when you search for me with all your heart. That affects every area of my life. Not just part of my life, not just here and there. It affects every area of my life. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 18. But we look not for the things which are seen, but we look at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are what? Temporal, but the things which are not seen are... Isn't that a great passage? What should we be seeking after? Obviously, Paul is telling us, he's preaching the same sermon that Jesus preached in Matthew chapter 6. He's preaching the identical message, he's just saying it in different words. He's saying, don't seek after food and drink and raiment. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He says, look after the things which are not seen. The things that are seen are temporal. The things that are not seen are eternal. And I pray that God will give every one of us this type of vision. To look after the things that are eternal. That's seeking the kingdom of heaven first and God's Righteousness. Jesus goes on and tells his disciples and those that are there listening to seek the kingdom when? Seek ye what? Seek ye first the kingdom. Of God, not second, not third, but what? You know, for many years, maybe you didn't think this way, but I know I did. For many years, I applied that Bible passage to if I start my day off with my devotions, I'm seeking the kingdom of heaven first. And I felt like that if I did that, I can check off that Bible passage, I've done it. I've put the kingdom of heaven first in my life, and now I can move on. But brothers and sisters, as I've delved into this a little bit deeper, maybe you weren't plagued by that wrong type of thinking, but I was. And as I've dug into this a little bit deeper, I see that this is something that should be more systemic in our lives. Not something that we just do in the morning and check off that I've sought after God in my devotional time as the first thing in my life. Yes, we should do that. But this is something that should be pervasive in our lives. That everything in our life, God is first, last, and best in everything. That's what a converted heart will do. 
And it won't do it with remorse. It won't do it with sorrow. It won't do it with anguish, but it will do it with joy because that's what we want to do. We want to bring God joy and happiness and obedience to his invitation to seek him and seek him first. One day, a father wanted to give some good advice to his son. So he said, William, I am pleased to see that you are inclined toward religion. But take my advice and be reasonable. I've been in business now for 40 years, and my advice is stick to trade and make money and then attend to religion. Young man sat there on the front of his father for a little while and thought. He loved his father. He appreciated his father's advice. But he thoughtfully replied and he said, Father, I am always grateful to you for your good advice. But this time you must excuse me if I differ from you. For the scriptures say, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and therefore I cannot go in for making money first but I must at once serve God. You know, our church would be a lot different if we followed the advice of that wise young man. Seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. God's kingdom first, business second. As I reflected upon this, from time to time, I've given the opportunity to speak to young people. And what I have found is that many of our young people's lives in our church have been ruined because of the advice of well-meaning parents and maybe even other spiritual leaders in their lives who have advised them, don't go to the mission field, go to college. Don't partake in that literature evangelism program during the summertime. Go get a job that pays more. Don't go into theology. Get yourself a degree in the medical field. And unfortunately, some of these young people end up following their parents' advice. And many years later, when they finish their course of training in school, their parents are weeping because their children no longer have an interest in spiritual things because they have followed the advice of their parents. We need to be careful that not only we tell our children one thing, but we actually encourage them and show them what that means in our own lives. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I must hasten to close. The last part of the passage I will leave for you to reflect upon in your own study time but it's perhaps the best part of the passage that maybe we could do a whole sermon on. That if we follow Jesus' advice to seek first his kingdom, what's the last part of the passage say? And what? And how many of these things? And all these things shall be added unto you. I'll be honest with you, I've met very few Christians who actually believe that Bible passage. I've met very few Christians, and, and I'm ashamed to say that even in my own life, there have been times where I have not believed that Bible passage. 
Sure, it says that, but I still have to do whatever to make it happen. We seek God's kingdom and we put it all on the line for him. He says that he will provide all of our needs. Everything will be added unto us. We're not building up a kingdom here on this earth, brothers and sisters. We're laying up treasures in heaven. Amen? I heard a story just recently that just really spoke to my heart, especially in the context of this passage of Scripture. It was about a pastoral family in communist Russia. The father had been hauled off to prison, and the mother and children had been relocated into Siberia. They lived in a little ramshackled building and didn't have a whole lot. And one evening, as the children were getting ready to go to bed, they broke their last bit of bread, divided amongst the family. They drank the last bit of tea that they had, and they slipped into their beds with their tummies still grumbling. And as they knelt down in family prayer before they went to bed that night, they looked at their mother and they said, Mama, what are we going to do? We don't have any more food. Do you think Papa knows where we are right now? Do you think he'll come and give us what we need? The mother said to her children thoughtfully, she said, you have a father in heaven and he knows your needs and he will supply those needs for you. As the children drifted off to sleep, that night, 18 and a half miles away, the Lord reached down from heaven and grabbed the hold of a shoulder of some deacon in the local church, woke him up out of a dead sleep. And he said, the Lord said to him, hit your horse Hit your sleigh and fill that sleigh up with all of the food that the church has gotten. Take the food over to that family of the pastor who is in prison. They're in need. The deacon rubbed his eyes in the night and he said, Lord, it's cold out there. It's below zero. My horse might freeze to death. There's no way I can make that trip. And the Lord said to that deacon, you have to go. You need to go because they are in danger. They need these things. Deacon protested and he said, Lord, there's wolves out there. They might eat my horse. And if they eat my horse, they might eat me too and I might not be able to make it back. The Lord said to him, I didn't ask you to come back. I just asked you to go. Are we that deep with God? Hitched up his horse, got the sleigh, piled it full of stuff in the middle of the night. Man, of Siberia is probably snowing as well, coming down from this guy. I don't know. The road, the 18 and a half miles. I hate getting in my car when it's cold. And I'm not even living in Siberia. Well, Siberia of North America, maybe. But anyways, riding through the cold to this ramshackled little house, as the sun began to peek over the horizon, he banged on the door of that lady's house, and I can only imagine the fear that came into her heart when she heard the knock at the door. She opened the door and she saw this little huddled old deacon there, shaking. 
but he had a big bag of food in his hand and a sleigh behind him that was full of food. He said, I brought this for you because the Lord told me that you were in need, and if you need anything else, if you run out after this, let us know. We'll be there to help you. Seek you first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew Henry said this, the best way to be comfortably provided for in this world is to be the most intent upon another world. I don't know about you, but I've been challenged. Heaven is the place that I want to be. The stakes are very high, and I feel at times that I'm living a very lukewarm Christian life, just kind of floating along, hopefully just a little bit better than everybody else. But a little bit better is not going to be good enough. If I'm not following these simple 20 words that have profound revolutionary impact in my life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. My last passage to you this morning Matthew 16 and verse 26, what does a man profit if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Ouch. What do you profit? Gain everything. You got all the new shiny stuff, makes you feel comfortable for a little while have a house overflowing with things. Maybe you just have a path that runs through your house because you have so much stuff in there. Maybe you can't sit on your whole couch because you got things piled up. Maybe you can't use your whole kitchen table because you got half of it over, half of it full of stuff. Maybe you can't pull your car in the garage because your garage is so full of things. Listen, I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. What does a man gain if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? Brothers and sisters, I believe we're on the cusp of great things in our church if we would but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Do you want to reorganize your priorities to say, Father, I want to seek you first. Seek ye first. Lord, I want to be that Christian who doesn't just hear the sermon preached by Jesus in Matthew 6, but actually applies it in their lives. Lord, I want to seek you first. I'm going to ask you to stand if that's the case. Now, I'm compelled <clears throat> to make one further appeal, and I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads and close your eyes at this point, and I want you to think in your life, and I'm not talking in general terms this morning, I'm talking in specific terms, and 
and really, this is from me as your, as your pastor to you, as uh, my friend, as my brother and my sister. We're all on this journey. We all want to the, get to the kingdom of heaven. But maybe there's somebody here this morning who knows that there's something specific in their lives that is first and not God's kingdom. I don't know what it is, and I, I've gone through in my mind that maybe I could list a few things, but I don't think that that's really what needs to be done. You know, the Lord has worked with you. God is faithful. The Holy Spirit convicts us. But there is something, some one thing that is first in your life that you know ought not to be. And this morning I want to appeal to you, if you want to give that to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm tired of following the pursuits of worldliness, materialism, and the things of this world, and I want to put the kingdom of God first in my life, not this thing. I'm surrendering it to you so that you can be number one. I'm going to ask you to come to the front here if that's the case, if you want to just make that surrender to the Lord and say, Father, I'm giving it to you. I don't, it doesn't matter what it is. You know what it is. The Lord knows what it is. Come on down to the front and let the Lord know, I'm surrendering this thing to you. Don't resist it. Don't worry about what other people are thinking around you. If somebody else wants to think less of you because you're standing up front here tonight or this morning, they're the ones that need to be up here themselves. Lord, there's something that I need to give to you. There's something that has been first in my life. And now I want to put my priorities where they ought to be. And I want the kingdom of heaven and the righteousness of Jesus to be the first thing in my life. I want it to be pervasive. Not just something in the morning. Not just something on the weekend. But the beat and the pulse of my life. Give it all to you, Lord. And as I pray... Just go ahead and make that silent prayer of commitment to the Lord. Go ahead and name that thing, whatever it is that's been first in your life, and let the Lord know that that's no longer the way you're going to live your life. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness in helping us and guiding us, and instructing us in what is right. And Father, we ask that you would forgive us for putting our energies into all these things and giving you our lukewarmness. Oh, Lord, it ought not to be that way. Help us, Lord, to turn things around and get our priorities where they should be. We've stood before you this morning, Lord. We want to seek you first. Some of us have felt the weight of life and 
specific things that are holding us back, and we bring it to you this morning, Lord, in consecration. We're giving it to you. We don't want it to be consuming us any longer. And Lord, as we go from this place, I pray that we will take the decisions that we have made with us, that we won't leave it in the pews, that we won't leave it in the front of the church and forget about it and and, and forget the warm, fuzzy feeling that we're having, but that we would take this with us, Lord, that it would become part of who we are, that this next week would be different than the week that we have just gone through. Lord, we're tired of just having a half-baked Christian experience. We want to go all the way with you where we, where we commit our whole lives into this revolutionary way of living to seek you first and nothing else. Lord, help us as a church. We want to stay in the center of your will. We understand that we can only do that if we allow you to continue that experience of conversion in our lives so that we can know what your will is. Father, we want this to be a powerhouse, not just another church on the block, not just another Seventh-day Adventist church in the uh, over 100 churches here in Michigan. But Lord, we want to be a church that's used by you in a powerful way to impact our community and to give praise and honor to your name as we do our best to follow the gospel commission and the example of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for seeing value among us. Now we plead with you to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, to fill us with wisdom, Lord, as we seek to accomplish our Father's business in his vineyard. We thank you, Lord, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.